Welcome to the 12th episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a woman who spent 10 years on the road leading employee experience at the world's most famous circus. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She grew up in Australia and completed her degree in health science and nutrition before making her way into the world of entertainment, hospitality and events. She literally ran away with the circus when Cirque du Soleil came to Sydney and experienced a range of customer-facing operational leadership roles, including a brief stint on a cruise ship before returning to head up VIP experience. A true experience queen, she now hosts her own show, The Experience Creators, based on the title of her latest business venture. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Caroline Maley. Hey, Caroline. Hi. Hi. So happy to be here. Welcome. Welcome. And welcome to all the listeners at home as well. So I'm so excited that you're here because we're going to have a conversation about how to use employee experience to drive customer experience. But you've got a really, really interesting background because you worked for Cirque du Soleil. Yes, I did. 10 years, 10 10 years years on the road, on tour with Cirque du Soleil all around the world. That is absolutely incredible. So I think my first question our listeners will be thinking is, how did you end up joining the circus? (laughs) It's a good question and and always the first one. And, and, you know, as I look at your background and you have She Loves Adventure in the back, um, I very much resonate with that. Uh, I I grew up traveling both. uh, I grew up in Australia, but neither of my parents are from Australia. My mother's from New Zealand. My father's French. And so there was always an element of of travel, uh, especially outside of Australia. Um, they were huge travelers. And so they instilled in myself and my two sisters just this love of travel and curiosity about the world and about different cultures and, and languages as well. And so I grew up a gymnast. I was a gymnast for most of my life, actually. And so I always knew of Cirque du Soleil from that performance side. I was never anywhere near as good to be to be in that kind of an environment at Cirque du Soleil. But when I left school and I started studying at university, I did a, um, a science degree in nutrition, actually, which has nothing to do with what I do now, as a lot of people. Yeah. But I started, you know, as you do when you're young, uh, working hospitality jobs. And um, the way that Cirque du Soleil works is whenever we go, each city that we go to, we hire local. Uh, so our teams that are running the front of house, they're all local for two main reasons. Obviously, we want to support the community and the, the economy that we are going into mm-hmm. and provide employment for them. Um, but also it's very important that the the guests are interacting with people that speak the same languages as they are. So obviously when you're touring Australia, North America, everyone's speaking English, but when you start getting into other territories such as Europe, Asia, Mm. it's very important, obviously, that you're changing countries every six to eight weeks. So you have to speak the language of the guests, Mm. which as a team of uh, supervisors, there's a team of 10 supervisors, more or less. And we run all the different the business units within the front of house. And then we have our local teams through there. So that's how I started in Brisbane, Australia. Cirque du Soleil came. They used to come every two years or so. And they came and uh, and I worked in the bar. Like I ran the bar and it was the best. Oh, I just I always remember that first kind of gig with Cirque du Soleil because I had not a care in the world 
just running the bar for this incredible show. Uh, and then I, I traveled to a couple of cities with them. Uh, eventually I went back to university, but when they came back two years later, I did the same thing again, but I had the opportunity to apply for a full-time job, which at the time was the food and beverage manager on, on tour. And that, be, that began my kind of love affair and, and my entry into 10 years on tour with Cirque du Soleil. Wow. And just thinking about what you said there about the languages. So for your guests being able to speak the language native to them, but then that would mean your teams would be made up of people that perhaps you didn't speak that language or... Yeah, so they had to, the, the prerequisite was that they had to speak some form of English because that was our main uh, communication language right. along with French because Cirque du Soleil is from um, Quebec. Mm -hmm. uh, however, you know, in the local staffing agency, I'm sure the question was, do you speak English? And then the answer was yes. I don't think there was any further investigation <laughs> into the language skills of the of the local staff. So we got the full array of of language skills, really from people that barely understood us all the way up to to people that were fluent. In saying that, most of the supervisor teams, especially the ones that were touring in Europe, we all spoke at least two languages ourselves. So between all of us, we were able to communicate. And it's very interesting with in, from a guest point of view, and I'll, and I'll give the example of uh, Switzerland. You know, Switzerland's a very interesting country because they have many languages yeah. that they work within. And so I was running the VIP tent at the, at the time, and I always did the announcements um, to say kind of there's 10 minutes left, make your way into the big top, or welcome to the VIP. And at the beginning of each service, so we would open one hour before the show. And as the guests were coming in, I would be in contact with my kind of door guys, the ones at the door, scanning the tickets, giving the lanyards to see what was the majority, what was the language majority in the tent that okay. evening. And then we would do the announcements based on that. So if there was a lot of French speakers, we would do a French and English. If there was a lot of Swiss German speakers, mm. we do German, English. If, if it was just a huge mix, we do all three languages, English, French, Swiss German, and then it was just an announcement that went on forever. <laughs> but that was the case a lot of the time is being very aware of all these different languages yeah. coming in and out. And I, I personally loved it. It was a very fulfilling from that point of view. And I guess with language difference, um, also I guess comes cultural difference. So uh, Quebecan slash British, not British, English speaking production company working all around the world with different languages. I guess then for the, from an employee perspective, an employee engagement perspective, did you come across many cultural challenges in being able to understand each other that went beyond language? <laughs> All the time. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm in the position I am and I'm able to share a lot of expertise and, and help my clients and, and, and people that I work with because I, I was put in this situation where every six to eight weeks I was basically in a new language or culture. And some, of course, are very similar, but some are very different. So, you know, I would know when I was working in a Belgian uh, country, uh, city, sorry, when I was in Belgium, I would know that for the most part, my guests would arrive on time. They would be very uh, kind of well-behaved, if you want to say that. And they would, and, and it would be very, um, almost a, a little bit quiet, the atmosphere. Mm. If I'm in Spain, it's almost the complete opposite it's very lively, it's very loud, there's uh, and a lot of people coming last minute. And so that's just two examples of, of really different 
from a behavioral and cultural point of view that you just kind of learn as you go and get used to. And then in Russia, I was in Moscow for three months and my staff did not speak English at all, like at all. And my Russian extends to about 10 words. <laughs> you might say. <too>. So <laughs> I had a translator with me mm-hmm. at all times. And so even in terms of leading a team, mm-hmm. that was very challenging for me because I didn't have the automatic kind mm-hmm. of visual feedback that I would get if I was kind of cracking a joke in my meeting, <laughs> you know, I would crack the joke, laugh at myself, and then wait for it to be translated, and then they would laugh. <laughs> so Brilliant. it was the Brilliant. strangest, strangest experience. Um, but it was really, I mean, it taught me a lot about communication, yeah. you know, and about patience and about being very intentional with how, with how you speak with the staff. And also, I was able to be very aware and, and watch their reaction because I was not watching their reaction to me and what I was saying. I was watching the reaction to the translator mm-hmm. and hopefully she was translating everything that I was mm-hmm. saying, but yeah. I just had to trust her in that. But so it was a very, this very interesting process back yeah. and forth of constant learning, you know, yeah, a lot of adaptability as well. Absolutely. I, I, it just made me think of two things. I did a talk once in Poland and it was a very similar situation. Everyone was wearing headsets and I was being translated. So that feeling of like cracking a joke and then <laughs> a couple of seconds later. <laughs> so, 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 so strange. Um, so let's talk about the guest experience at Cirque du Soleil. So I first went to Cirque du Soleil for Kidam 20 mm. years ago um, when I arrived in Manchester. And I remember it being very, very special, very spectacular. There was so much, um, it just I can't, I can't think how to describe it. I didn't know what to expect when I went, but I knew uh, the name of Cirque du Soleil. But every moment of the show, I remember being absolutely amazing. And all the stuff that was going on kind of around the show very much stayed within the theme. And then in 2016, on the way back from Burning Man, we stayed in Vegas. And then we saw, I can't remember the name of that one, but it was the permanent one that was fixed in in, in Vegas. And again, I just remember it's really special. So in terms of how Cirque du Soleil is organised and orchestrated, obviously there's the stuff that's going on on the stage. What is the guest experience like around that? And how do they design that? Yeah, so there's there's many elements at Cirque du Soleil. For example, you have the Vegas shows, like you said, that are permanent fixtures that are in hotels. Yes. Me personally, I always worked on tour, so I always yeah. worked with the big top. Um, and it was very interesting process because we were almost, if you think almost like a traditional circus, we were we were subjected to all the elements that were, you know, the weather the local community, the, the actual location of the tent within the city. Sometimes we were in not a very safe space at all. Mm. Um, sometimes we were in the city centre, which meant parking was an absolute nightmare. Sometimes uh, I remember in New York City, you know, we just had constant issues with um, with the trains being cancelled and a lot of people arriving late. So that's the first element is that you're, you're very much at the uh, mercy of the the space around you and the city around you. And you have to learn very quickly how to adapt. When we're in stadiums, sometimes you're in the car park of a stadium, Mm -hmm. then you have to, they do a lot of pre-work with the marketing team with the stadium because if the show's on at the same time as like a football match, for Mm -hmm. example, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. So that's the the first uh, element of it. And then the second is like you mentioned, the goal was always to have the ex- the entire experience from the moment that they walked through the gates, mm. the same level 
of service and of kind of wonderment as the actual show itself. Wonderment, so, that's the right word, wonderment. There you go. <laughs> the majority of people are going to enjoy the show to some extent, right? There, yeah. of course, are a couple of people that don't, but for the most part, for the most part, it's an incredible experience that people will remember for many years to come, just like just like you have alluded to. And so it really started from that first moment, whether you went to the box office or the security going through, how can we bring that magic of Cirque du Soleil into those different elements? And so that was always one of our biggest challenges. And me in particular, for the most part, I was running the VIP experiences. So my goal with the VIP experiences was always to, how can we make the VIP so great mm. that they're going to talk about the show, but they're also going to talk about the VIP. Mm. It's achievable, but it's very high standard to try mm. and match the level of experience that someone will have at the actual show itself. So that was always the goal. And we were always working a lot with our head office in Montreal and for me in particular with my local staff because I think often a lot of people underestimate the expertise and the value that local teams can actually bring to an experience because they're used to working in such environments. They're used to working with these kind of guests mm. and they have a lot of different insights that you, yeah, as even if you're the leader, you know, me, I was never local to any of the places, even if I had repeated the cities many times there's a couple of cities I did three four times but again it was those lo that local kind of inside and and ideas that actually helped me really propel the VIP experience forward so we were almost working together uh in in, in this kind of local leader dynamic which was really amazing it was a great experience to have that element thrown into the mix as well Okay, so then thinking about the employee experience then, so we've run across some some challenges. Um, as you've said, you know, it's the temporary roles, mm -hmm. um, being led by somebody who perhaps doesn't understand your culture and your language. <laughs> There's some risks there, isn't there, for like disengagement potentially. So what kinds of things did you do at Cirque du Soleil to engage these teams um, as you arrived and throughout their experience of working for you? So. The first thing was to understand the motivation behind this, the staff. And depending on the city or country, culturally, it was very different kinds of demographics that we would get working for us. So in some places, it would be very much these young students. This was like their part-time job just for a bit of extra cash. They love Cirque du Soleil. So, and they were young as well. They were like 20 yeah. years old. Other cities... Other cities, even countries, this was their third job. They had four kids, you know, they 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 cared about the paycheck. Mm. They didn't care about Cirque du Soleil necessarily mm. or, or that magic of Cirque du Soleil was not what brought them here. What brought yeah. them here was they were going to get paid. So that was, for me, very important to really understand what was the motivation behind these guys because then that was how I would lead them. It would help me lead them in a way that was going to almost be successful for the entire experience. Mm -hmm. And I have many examples of, for example, I, I rolled out a, an incentive program in the merchandise boutique to help reach our sales goals and to help reach our kind of cost per head. And I, I created this and it was amazing. The staff loved it. We were just, it was so great. It was like this fun every day. We were like checking the results and it was just this incredibly competitive, fun environment. I was so hyped about this project. The next city I took it to, which was a new country, uh, it completely bombed. Oh. 
They absolutely hated it. They didn't want to be kind of pitted against each other. They wanted to have no part of it. So myself as the leader trying to lead an experience for the employees, that was my constant reality is that sometimes I would create something incredible and be like, wow, I'm so good at this. This is awesome. Like this is one of the best things I've ever created. And then I would try and roll it out in a new culture, a new language, a new environment, and it wouldn't work at all. So it was a really interesting learning curve. Like how can I really show up for these employees to help them perform? Yet there's so many different unexpected elements that are going to be thrown at me that, that I need to consider. So for me, it was really important from, the, from day one. And my training was about a two to three hour training. And then we would have the premiere of the show. So in terms of onboarding, this was quick. So I really focused in onboarding around it really bringing this excitement, this magic, this, this is what the guests are coming for. This is what we are. We're a part of, of this experience. We're a part of an evening that potentially will, will live on in the guests forever. And that was always my angle to get in to the almost like the minds the imagination of my staff and to help them feel that wow we're part of we're part of creating the most incredible magical memorable experience and then based on the based on the the feeling that I got from them that would kind of dictate then how I would move forward but to be honest it was always different I had to be very adaptable I had to be very quick and I had to really communicate really effectively with these teams no matter what the language barrier was to make sure that from day one I was able to give them an incredible employee experience. Now how many people are we talking about on a team? So each city we would hire 100 to 150 employees Mm. and they would work across numerous teams you know from the janitors to the bar to the VIP to the box office and so my team depending on what area that I led it could be as a team as small as five to six people, it could be around the biggest teams that we had were 40 people or so, mm-hmm. so depending. Mm-hmm. And did you get much say in the recruitment or did you kind of, that, that bit was done before you <laughs> had a say? Or So we, we always partnered with a recruiting agency. Um, sometimes by the end we had, we had some global partnerships. So what was really interesting about that was that these, the, the global partnerships that we had with, with hiring agencies, they really knew us. They knew Cirque du Soleil. They, they knew what we wanted. They knew a lot of the times our focus was we want to hire personalities. Yeah. We don't care about the skill set because we can teach anyone how to use a cash register. We can teach anyone how to fold shirts. We can teach anyone how to, you know, check tickets and rip tickets. What we cannot teach is that environment that how are they going to add value as a great personality? And, you know, this is Cirque du Soleil. It's it, people coming know that they're going to get an experience that it's, it's going to be high energy. So that's what we always looked for in cities where potentially we were working with a hiring agency for the very first time. That was always a huge challenge because all of the lead up was kind of us on the phone talking with the, our new partners, but until they actually came on site and saw it for their own eyes, it was very hard to describe. So often we would invite them, the, the city before, the previous city, to come and experience a night at Cirque du Soleil and then they'd be able to go around and, and we would show them the different business units. Okay, here's the food and beverage team, here are the bars, or this is the VIP once they had once they were able to make that connection between all of the information that they had been receiving for months and the experience itself 
then usually it was quite a seamless process after that. But it's it's very hard to describe sometimes, you know, you have to really you take for granted that it's it's a it's a very easy thing to grasp but if you've never been to a show yeah. or if you've never even sometimes they hadn't even heard of Cirque du Soleil this was their first introduction so then it was a, a big challenge to kind of get that those teams the way that we wanted them from day one because like you mentioned they're very short we're talking about short-term teams here yeah. sometimes it's five weeks sometimes it's the biggest the largest is usually three months but that's a very short amount of time to train and get these guys ready to go and and providing great experiences every single night for thousands of people Mm, yeah I I think just when I've experienced something similar it would be like Christmas temps so Mm. when businesses take on a, a huge amount of people for a very short period of time but there's a limited amount of time to to train them to get them engaged like you said the motivation is probably different students wanting to earn a bit of money over Christmas say or um perhaps older people coming out of retirement to help out and um and some of the challenges in in being able to get people on board at pace is is tough and I think with something like Cirque du Soleil as you say you know if you don't know it and you're not kind of enamored by it already so obviously me seeing it 20 years ago I was so excited to speak to you because it's (laughs) something that stayed in my mind for you know for for that amount of time as an experience um but I thought it was really interesting to say like getting them to come and experience it as a guest themselves first to feel that magic is such a great way to demonstrate that and to get the buy-in I guess initially right yes and where you could do that (laughs) I I I use that strategy myself so whenever I was feeling complacent whenever I was like I'm over this like I just (laughs) oh I I would actually go and step into the big top and I wouldn't watch the show necessarily because I've I would have seen it many many times but I would watch the guests yeah and I would it it the feeling that it gave me, it was almost like a renewal because I would watch them and I would see their eyes widen or they're like <gasps> gasping for air as they see something crazy happen before them yeah. or, you know, in in the clown parts, laughing their heads yeah. off and hearing the sounds of ch- children laughing. And mm-hmm. sometimes I would take for granted what an incredible experience it was. And, and so that I, I use that strategy myself. I would come on my night off and and enter the front just like a guest would and go through the whole experience and a that that brought that that energy back for me personally but it also was allowed me to walk through the through the experience as a guest and I was able to correct a lot of things even just the next night after that based on that yeah so like passive wonderment <laughs> I like that <laughs> exactly it's like a secret shopper but everybody knew who I was you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the staff anyway <laughs> so I guess why did you leave <laughs> yeah I mean look 10 years on tour it's a very long time and uh in in total it was 17 countries and over 50 cities and changing every two two months or so and for me personally I just felt like I had outgrown the roles that I was in, you know, and I didn't see the next step for me within that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was always creating, when I was on tour, I was always creating my own, almost like at school, extracurricular activities where I would create leadership workshops. I Because we had a lot of young staff, right? And a lot of time, maybe it was their first job, or if we hired them as an assistant or a team leader, maybe it's the first time they've ever been in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. So I really took that upon myself to say, okay, 
these young guys, like we, even though we're with them for a short amount of time, there's so much potential that we can, we can actually, we can have an influence on them and we can impact them in a positive way so that when they leave this job, then they can continue to, we can leave them with something that is going to help them in their next positions. That was always my goal, no matter what my, my teams were. So I, I was doing that on my own because I was kind of bored in a way, you know, even though we were traveling and we were moving and, and we had different teams and different guests, when it comes down to it, I was doing the same job every day in just in different apartments, in different environments. So, you know, after a while it, it, it was time for me to leave. Um, but I, it is such a huge part of my story and, and one I'm sure you can tell and the listeners can tell that I absolutely love talking about and I always will. Uh, it's an incredible, it was an incredible experience to be a part of for sure. And have they been affected by COVID, I guess, this year? Oh yeah, they got completely wiped out. Um, so we, it was actually very interesting at the beginning of this year, I was with Cirque du Soleil in Sevilla in Spain mm-hmm. and we were transferring to Lyon in France and we we didn't know what was going to happen and we finished the city with hmm, okay I think maybe something may happen in Lyon we're not really sure but we went ahead as usual and then two day I, I had five days off in between the two cities and day two we got told that it was completely shut down there would be no more Cirque du Soleil it was really very devastating devastating actually because it's not it's not just a job like you live there the lifestyle, it's, it's your yeah. life it's your livelihood yeah you you are a part of that life you know so I actually ended up spending four the whole four months of lockdown in France with a tiniest carry-on suitcase mm-hmm. ever I had about <laughs> six items of clothing I didn't even have my laptop like it was the most incredible kind of minimalistic <laughs> journey if you will yeah. Um, but yeah so that so Cirque du Soleil unfortunately really got wiped out because they could no longer perform any show pretty much in the entire world and they kind of dropped like flies one after the other now they're on the the men's and they're they're on the way back mm-hmm. but it was a really it was a really shocking thing to go through um, for us because the shows are rely nice. on the guests, yeah, right? Yeah, there, yeah. There's no other way around it. There's no other way of, oh, let's create a different kind of experience mm-hmm. where we're going to charge our guests. It's that That's the experience, the live experience. So, yeah, like other live experiences, it, it took a huge hit. But uh, hopefully they'll be back within, you know, 2021. I hope so. Um, And then I think my final question is just really around having such a transient lifestyle must be quite difficult personally. How has it been being able to, I suppose, fashion a life where you feel like you've got some grounding uh, with having traveled all over the world? Obviously there's a glamour and the excitement and you said you got a bit tired of that. Yeah. How did that, how did that feel? Lockdown for me has been interesting because it's made me really realize that I need a base, you know, and I'm yet to have that. I'm currently living in Montenegro, but it is a very, uh, I'm still transient. And I joke and I say that I actually have a storage unit in Bordeaux in France and I call that my apartment. And, uh, The guys, the guys that work the front desk, I mean, I haven't been back for a while because of lockdown, but I joke that they must think I'm a spy or something because I'll always arrive with a different suitcase and then I'll put her around in there for maybe an hour and then I'll leave with a different suitcase. Maybe I've even changed my clothes, you know, so they must be thinking what on earth is this girl doing? But that has been, that's basically been where, I, where I've stored my belongings. And 
for me, it's been, it's kind of normal for me moving so much. It's very, very normal for me. And I, and I do love it very, very much. I can't, usually when I get to about four months in one place, I start to get jittery. <laughs> I start to get, and I know that I need to get that out of me at one point, I'm going to have to stop moving so much, but it's a huge part of my life. Mm. And, and it's, it's, for me, it's, it's kind of a normal day to day thing, you know, even this year throughout 2020, you know, I started the year in Spain, then I was in France, then I was in Greece, and now I'm in Montenegro. So I'm still, travel- <laughs> I'm still traveling, yeah. not necessarily, not necessarily for the vacation side of things, you know, I am working, I'm, I'm working remotely. Uh, but it, it, for me, it's very normal. And it's not, that normal for for a lot of other people so I love having those conversations about what that actually looks like um but I love it I absolutely love it it gives me so much energy I it keeps me curious you know I'm in Montenegro right now and man there are some crazy things here that I never would have expected to you know as I was talking to you there's no Amazon here yeah so me trying to get anything is very very challenging you know the language is different I don't know any of the language at all except for a couple of words there's a lot of different customs and traditions here so it's just this constant evolution of being curious and learning and then being thrown into a new place and then learning more and and that's just how I live my life and I absolutely love it yeah, I did 25 countries in two years before lockdown because I was living as a digital right. nomad and I miss it so much as well. But that constant change and adapting to your environment, I love that and the different cultures and the experience. So I, I completely understand why you want to live that way. And I miss it and, and I can't, I want to go back. <laughs> I think for me, the the way that I almost stay sane, if you will, is really around daily routines. You know, no matter where I am in the world, I have a morning routine. Um, I, when I was at Cirque du Soleil, I was living in hotel rooms. So I would always have some things in my suitcase that I would kind of put up around the place, yeah. whether it was some like lights or some pictures or something. Yeah. So my, my number one goal, no matter where I live, whether it's an Airbnb or hotel, is to always come in and actually uh, just make it feel a little bit mm. like it's where I live, yeah. even <laughs> though I don't live there. So, mm. yeah, that, that's been a key for me. And that's, that's my number one piece of advice for people who, you know, who, who travel so much is try to create a little bit of structure within that chaos of constantly moving. And I think that's been the key for me in, in thriving in such an environment. No, that's awesome. So what's next for you then? What, what are you doing kind of in the next few so, months? <laughs> yeah. So now very, very exciting times for me. It's, it's a really, and I'm sure you, you've gone also through this process this year is how can I take all the skills and the expertise and all of the passion that I have and turn it into something that, that I can then offer as, as a value, as a value package. And that, that's what I'm doing right now. And it's been a journey of, you know, six months working. Okay. How do I want to create this next step for me? And what I realized is I really want to focus on the creating experiences, creating exceptional experiences. And and I call myself an experienced strategist. So I really work from all the way from guest experience to employee experience. And what I found here, for example, in Montenegro has been a really interesting lesson for me because I was very much focused on, on the physical experience and the guest experience side of things. And what I realized here. The, the staffing culture here is is not the best. Um, it's very, it, it's very, it seems very. Um, there's not a lot of excitement around 
jobs, I don't think. It's just kind of, oh, we do this to to, to live, which is obviously a reality in some countries. But what I found through that is what I learned very quickly is you could have the most incredible experience on offer, but if your teams aren't able to execute on that, if they aren't able to bring like the, the energy to that position, you're never going to be able to have that vision, the experience, that the way that you want it to be. So that's when I started to focus as well on, on, on that employee side of things as well, because I see it, I see it on a day-to-day basis here. So kind of marrying the two. So that's why I love to work specifically with companies that have short-term teams, obviously, from yeah. all of those years of running with teams from five to five to eight weeks, um, to really creating that experience. So really understanding how the, the guest actually journeys through the experience. And my focus is on creating micro moments because if we take Cirque du Soleil show, for example, there's going to be one defining moment in that show. I'm sure when you watched Kidam 20 years ago, and, and by the way, that was the first show I worked on as well. Oh, do we? <laughs> we, have that, we have that in common. I, I didn't say it right. So it's Kidam rather than... Kidam, yeah. I said Kidam. Sorry, my French is awful. Carry on. That's okay. It's, not a, it's, a, it's a Latin word. Oh. It, it means like... It means like a passerby, like yeah. somebody. Yeah. And uh, so in a show, there's going to be a defining moment for everyone. And it's going to be different for most people. Of course, there could be this one like, <gasps> wow moment. But for the most part, people are going to connect with a different part of the experience. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the work when I'm working with clients and I'm working with companies, that's what I focus on. How can we create the most amount of opportunities throughout the experience Mm -hmm. for these defining moments to happen. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I believe that we focus too much on the the main event, you know, the the big thing. We put all the money and the focus onto that. Yet all of the leading up to that and and what happens afterwards is a lot of the times forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And this is where I see that disparity. And if we can actually create that same level across the entire experience from A to B, the opportunity for a defining moment for a guest will be elevated so much more. And so that's really what I'm focused on. So that's what I'm doing right now as an experienced strategist working in that way. I've just launched also a YouTube series called The Experience Creators. And the reason I did that was because I don't want to lose that magic of how incredible an experience can be. And obviously this year in 2020, there's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of negativity. And and we have that idea of live experiences has been removed in a way. Mm. And so this is almost a way to celebrate incredible live experiences around the world. And so the experience creators is all about interviewing those that create incredible experiences for their audience. So I've just launched that now. And that's such an amazing way to, to bring that back to life, to bring that magic back into experiences while we're all kind of sitting here in this, like a bit of a blah state, if yeah. you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I get you. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you gave so many great insights that are relevant and applicable to multiple industries. And I think if I was going to summarise what I heard from you uh, is, you know, listening to your employees, being able to adapt to what they need from you is critical in creating experiences Um, the last point that you made about identifying where those moments of opportunity are for both employees and customers to create some magic uh, that will engage them beyond the functional stuff 
in a world where um, you're, you're absolutely right in the last year it's become very practical yes. <laughs> um, you know in the, it's going to come back these live experiences and how we can engage employees to the best of our ability so they feel like they want to bring the magic to the customers is absolutely what it's all about so thank you so much for coming on the show i can't wait to tune into your new youtube series and uh, we'll make sure we put some links in it in the to it in the newsletter as well to help you get some new followers hopefully <laughs> thank you so much claire this has been an awesome conversation i've, I've loved it <laughs> yay, yay. i can't wait to see what you do next and um thank you to all the listeners as well we'll see you next week bye <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muscat. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to a woman from the cybersecurity arena in Australia about CX and tech, the importance of communities for women and the power of women supporting one another to succeed. See you all next week.